0: Hi everyone and welcome to episode 16 of Infraction. I'm Nadia. And I'm Sally. And today's episode is set in Frederick in Colorado in the United States. And this is, I think, probably the most recent case that we've covered so far as it happened only two years ago in August, 2018. The family at the center of this case is the Watts family. Shanann and Chris Watts met in 2010 and then married in 2012. Shortly after their wedding in 2013, their first daughter, Bella Marie, was born. Two years later, their second daughter, Celeste, was born. And by May 2018, Shanann found out that she was pregnant again for the third time, this time with a little boy. Chris, Shanann's husband, worked for Anadarko Petroleum, which was like an oil and petrol company, And Shanann worked as an independent representative selling a product called Thrive, which I think was like a food supplement type thing. The couple did reportedly file for bankruptcy in 2015, but seemingly they did manage to get themselves back on track. Shanann and Chris really did seem happy. There are so many videos out there of this family because Shanann uploaded basically weekly videos of updates of her life onto Facebook. Unfortunately, this happy family unit wasn't to last. On the weekend of the 11th and 12th of August 2018, Shanann was away in Arizona on a business trip with her friend Nicole. Nicole reported that Shanann wasn't feeling very well during the trip. She was 15 weeks pregnant, but she was refusing to eat or drink. She seemed very low, and Shanann confided to Nicole that her and Chris were having marital problems. As far as I can tell, she didn't really divulge any more information than that. Their flight home from Arizona was delayed, so Nicole didn't manage to drop Shanann home until about 1.48am on the 13th of August 2018. There's footage from their doorbell camera, and you can clearly see Shanann walk up her path and go into her house. At around 1.35pm on that same day, August 13th, Nicole phoned the police to tell them that she was concerned that her friend, Shanann Watts, was missing. Nicole said that she had been texting Shanann all day and had gotten no response. She said Shanann had had a hospital appointment that morning at 9am and that Nicole had offered to drive her there, but that Shanann had never gotten back to her. So
1: 12 hours isn't a lot of time. Why was Nicole already so convinced that Shanann was missing?
0: Um... So it's kind of like what I touched on earlier, but it was basically because she lived her whole life through social media. She had like such a huge social media presence and she was like always on her phone. Um, And so- Nicole just couldn't understand why Shanann wasn't replying to any texts picking up any phone calls or seemingly posting anything on social media and you know to maybe you or I that might if you know if you don't post a picture of your horse on Instagram maybe I (laughs) won't think that you're missing but I think for Shanann it was like a big thing that she would genuinely post updates probably like several times a day and so that's why Nicole was like really worried. Right okay makes sense. So the dispatcher on the other end of this 911 call could hear the urgency in Nicole's voice, and so he sent an officer over to the Watts family home. The officer arrived and was trying to get into the house, but nobody was answering. Shanann had been diagnosed with lupus when she was younger, and so the police were worried that she might have been passed out upstairs or something like that. God, that's such a rare condition. Yeah, well, it is exactly. So lupus, for those of you who don't know, is an autoimmune disease where the body kind of essentially really attacks its own normal healthy tissue some places do report that she had diabetes but i can't see that that's been confirmed anywhere um she either did have diabetes maybe gestational diabetes because she was pregnant but either way she did have low blood sugar and so this kind of mixed in with the lupus and probably the fact that you know she'd had such a late night this really was cause for concern to the police officers because they thought you know she could be passed out somewhere upstairs like she could be in real trouble so, Nicole had obviously phoned Chris and asked him if he knew where Shannon was. Strangely, Chris told Nicole that he had no idea where Shannon was because he said they were going through a separation. This was news to Nicole. And I think probably, to be honest, news to Shannon as well. Um if this was true, that they were going through a separation because she just thought that they were having marital issues. And Nicole did comment on this. She said to the police officer, she doesn't think they're separating. Like, she just thinks they have issues. But
1: is it not possible that she just didn't want to confess to Nicole how serious the issues were?
0: Um, Yeah, I I guess it is totally possible. I just think maybe if you're looking for advice and you're trying to, you know, speak to your friend about something like marital issues, do you not think you'd bring up that he wants to have a separation?
1: Yeah, maybe. I suppose it's probably just quite a hard thing to admit the first time. But yeah, I do agree. It's Mm -hmm. a bit strange that they would have such different stories.
0: Mm -hmm. And and also, she was like 15 weeks pregnant. So, you know, that might have been the reason that she didn't want to admit it as well. Maybe she didn't want to have to think about going through it alone. But I don't know. It's hard. But Nicole basically is adamant that Shanann didn't realize they were kind of like their marital issues were that serious. So eventually the police phoned Chris and asked him if he could come home and open the door. At this point, they were kind of like, you either come home and open this door for us or we'll break it down because we're worried that your wife is passed out somewhere in this house. And Chris really didn't seem that concerned. Like He had been repeatedly saying, I'm five minutes away for about 45 minutes. So wow. yeah, at this point, the police reached out to him and was like, y- you need to come home.
1: Who was in charge of Bella at this point?
0: As in their daughters? Yeah. Oh, so uh, they assumed at this point that Bella and Celeste, so both their daughters, were with um, Shanann, wherever she was, because Chris was at work. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought.
1: So I guess that adds to the urgency a little bit as well, if she's in care of young children.
0: Mm, Yeah, completely. So it it is obviously a very urgent situation. The police officers could see that. So Chris eventually arrived at the house. He ran over to the officer, shook his hand, and then opened the garage door. And yeah, I should actually probably just say that I know all of this because there is extensive footage from the officer's body cameras that shows all of this. Um, And there's a really good documentary that kind of links all these pieces of footage together. So I'll link that below. But Chris arrived and opened up the garage door and Shanann's vehicle was still inside the garage. He kind of half gets into her car. He's like rooting around for something. You can see that the girl's car seats are still in there. So at this point, it's quite clear that they are probably somewhere in the house because Shanann wouldn't have taken the girls anywhere without her car, really. Chris then went into the house through the back door and about one minute later, he runs through the hallway and opens the front door for Nicole and the police officer to come inside. The officer and Nicole start searching through the house and calling out for Shanann and the kids. The officer asked Chris to go upstairs and see if she was passed out somewhere. Chris said that Shanann and the kids weren't there he recalled that Shanann had told him that morning that she'd be taking the girls to a friend's house. The officer asked if it looked like Shanann had packed up some things and left, but Chris said no. Everything was there, apart from his daughter's blankies. Shanann's phone was still in the house, although it had been intentionally turned off, so by that I mean it hadn't lost its battery. Nicole thought this was really strange. As I said earlier, Shanann was a heavy social media user and she would never have gone anywhere without her phone. Chris also commented that Shanann worked from home and that her phone was her lifeline. Nicole also found Shanann's bag on the kitchen counter and inside was Celeste's EpiPen. So their three-year-old daughter, Celeste, had severe allergies and Shanann had to always carry her EpiPen around with her in case she had an allergic reaction. So all of this was so worrying for Nicole at this point. She, in the footage, you can see her. She's like pacing around the room. She's searching everywhere. She's clearly panicked. Weirdly, Chris does not seem to be that worried at all. He's kind of just texting on his phone the entire time this search is going on. I mean, we have talked, you know, before, nobody knows how you're going to act in that kind of situation. So maybe he hadn't kind of processed what was going on yet, or maybe the severity of the situation. So the police officer asked Chris whether he was having marital issues, and he said that they were going through a separation and that they were going to have to sell the house. At this point, I think the police were a bit worried that maybe Shanann had been really distraught and maybe done something to hurt herself or had taken the girl somewhere to run away. Or the other theory that they were working with was that someone might have hurt them. Did
1: she have any, was there a purse in her bag still?
0: Yeah, all of her belongings were there. So basically nothing was missing from the house apart from the girl's blankets. Okay. So the police went to the neighbours and asked if they'd seen Shanann or her daughters. Nate, one of the neighbours, said that he hadn't, but he did have a security camera and that security camera picked up the edge of the Watts' driveway and he basically said if she'd left with her daughters, it would be shown on those tapes. He invited Chris and the officers in to review the footage. The camera footage revealed Chris backing his truck up into the garage at about 5.28am. He can be seen loading something into his vehicle and then driving off. Chris kind of said that, yeah, this was usual. This is what he usually did. He would back his truck into the garage to make it easier to load and unload his tools that he needed for work. In this footage, it shows Chris driving off at 5.45am. There was unfortunately no other motion picked up by the camera, so nobody came to pick up Shanann and Bella and Celeste to take them on a play date or anything like that. They can't be seen leaving the house. So there's no rear exit to the property. There's no other way they could have left the
1: house Except for by this front door, which would have presumably been caught on the neighbor's camera.
0: Yeah, so I looked into that. I think they did have a back garden, but I don't think there was any way out. And I think if there was a way out, it's possible there's like a side gate. I think that would still, you'd still have to walk over the driveway. Like if you came down Mm -hmm. out the back exit, you'd still walk over the driveway. So I think you would still be picked up on that camera. Okay. So during this time, whilst they're reviewing this uh, footage from uh, the neighbour's security camera, Chris is acting really strangely. He isn't really watching the footage. He's like looking at his phone a lot. He's pacing a bit. He's quite sweaty, uh, kind of even so much so that his glasses actually fall down off of his head. I guess this could be seen as suspicious or it could just be chalked up to the fact that maybe he's getting more and more stressed that his wife and daughters are missing and you know maybe he did just think that they'd been picked up by someone else and now the reality's starting to hit exactly yes because I think as well regardless of
1: what's going on in his marriage this is a man who is facing the prospect of his children being missing so you would mm-hmm. absolutely at this point and maybe even before given his children involved expect him to be looking a bit stressed I think but as you say
0: how do you interpret it, it does also sound suspicious behaviour in some ways it is it's hard, isn't it? You never know what kind of what's going through someone's head when this kind of situation is unfolding. So yeah, at this point, there's no evidence that suggested that Shanann had gone out on a play day or taken the kids to a friend's house. Nobody had heard from them and there was no sign of them leaving with anyone on the footage. So now the police started to investigate this from a criminal perspective. The next day, August 14th, investigators forensically searched the Watts family home Chris Watts was very forthcoming with the police and aided them with their search. He even did a television interview to raise awareness for the case.
1: Wherever they're at, like, I have no inclination of where they're at right now. Like, I've exhausted, like, every friend that I know of and every friend that I have has called friends that Shanann has that maybe I didn't know about. And it's just like, there's, it's like, it's vanished. Like, she's not, like, when I got home yesterday, it was like a ghost town. Like, she wasn't here. Kids weren't here. I have no idea like where they went. And it doesn't, it's just earth shattering. I don't feel like this is even real right now. It's like a nightmare that I just can't wake up from. So that's weird, isn't it? I mean, his tone of voice sounds really casual as if he's just talking about, I don't know, losing his friends at a festival and he's not sure where they are. But then at the end, he suddenly starts using these emotive words, like earth shattering mm-hmm. and things, but he doesn't sound like his earth shattering. And again, I know we say that you don't know how you can react in this situation, but I think I was really surprised with how relaxed and yeah, he doesn't sound like he's torn up at the idea of not knowing where his daughters are.
0: Yeah, I feel that way as well. I feel like the phrase, I have no inclination as to where they are is fricking weird. Do you not think that's weird? You're talking about your family. Totally,
1: it almost sounds... A bit defensive doesn't it
0: yeah like no inclination that's just yeah bizarre phraseology so this was the day after this was recorded this kind of went like live on like the five o'clock news or whatever that was recorded the day after his family are now missing and he knows that they're launching a criminal investigation into this so yeah i agree with you i do think at the end it does then seem like he's switching on yeah, like you said, emotive language, talking about it being earth-shattering, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely, but no other part of it. Obviously, I've not seen the video, I'm just hearing it, but definitely his tone of voice doesn't seem to match the like choice words he's using.
0: No, his stance is probably exactly what you would imagine from someone talking to you about what the weather's like. Right. And in the same clip, actually, there's like outtakes of the clip, so there's it's a much longer interview, and to the guy reporting on it, he's literally like, I really like this shirt, do you like this shirt? And he's like looking at his top, and I'm like... Sorry.
1: God, how strange. Your
0: family's missing. Yeah,
1: and missing for long enough that you would 100% be worried, even if they hadn't launched a criminal investigation, even, I don't know, any circumstance, you'd be worried. Like, you don't know where your children and your wife are, and you've not heard Mm -hmm. from them in over a day.
0: Mm -hmm. One of the um, investigators even said to him... Like, if I lose my daughter in a store for, like, 10 seconds, I have, I'm panicking. She's like, I, I, have, I have sheer panic running through my veins. Yeah. And she's like, why aren't you panicking? And he's just, like, just so chill. Like, just don't know. Like, he's very, very chill about it.
1: Very bizarre.
0: Mm. So, inside the house, the police found no evidence of foul play. No evidence that anything was out of place at all. The only thing that seemed slightly weird to them was that the sheet on the main bed was missing. But, I mean, really, that was it. Next, Chris went into a voluntary interview with the police. He handed his phone over for them to look at and the police also had Shanann's phone that they were searching through as well. Shanann had actually been talking to a lot of her friends about Chris being really distant and that kind of adds to what we already knew about her feeling sad that she was having marital issues. But I think maybe that kind of adds to what we were saying earlier. Maybe she didn't, she wasn't aware that it was as serious as a separation. Yeah, absolutely. Because it wasn't clear in any of those messages either that she thought that they were gonna be separating. So during the voluntary interview, Chris sort of set out the timeline of what had happened after Shanann had come home from that business trip. He said that she got into bed at 2am. At 4am, his alarm went off for work. He said at this point, he started a conversation with Shanann about putting the house up for sale and the two of them separating. He said that it was emotional and they were both crying. And then Shanann said that she was going to take the kids to a friend's house for the day. Chris also said during the interview, This is not something I would ever do to my wife and kids at all. This is kind of strange to me because I don't know what he's referring to here. He would never do what, like, nobody knows what's happened to Shanann and the girls. And after this, the investigator put photos of the girls in front of Chris, presumably to elicit some sort of emotional reaction. And Chris pointed to a photo of Celeste and said, she loved those shoes. She really loved those shoes. And then to a picture of Bella, he said, and Bella, she loved that dress. She was a girly girl. I think this raised huge alarm bells because he really is, well, referencing to, to about them in the past tense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And he didn't mention, had he mentioned before that Shanann had said she was taking the girls out for the day? Because at the time you know, when people very first raised the alarm, would that not have been a convenient time to say, oh, hey, no one worry, she's just gone out for the day?
0: Yeah, so he said it like later on. So when they were in the house, he said like, "Mm," well, she said that she was actually gonna take the girls out to a friend's house. But previously, when he'd kind of like run up to the house and gone into the garage, you would think at that point he'd be like, well, her car's here and the car seats are in it, so she she hasn't taken the girls out like she said she was going to. Or he would have said on the phone to Nicole or whatever, like, yeah, I totally agree with you. I don't get why he didn't raise it before. It was almost like after maybe like an hour of being in the house, he was like, ah, maybe I should say that Shanann was going to go somewhere with the girls. Yeah,
1: and I think, but I think also it's just about how he's wording it. I mean, it's one thing saying she's taking the girls to see her friends as if they're having sort of play date. It's another thing to mm-hmm. say, we had a fight this morning when I told her I wanted to separation and she then said, I'm taking the girls away because to me, then it would yeah. be completely normal if she'd have gone away for a whole weekend, to stay with someone else, didn't want to be tracked down while she cleared her head. That's quite different from sort of just casually saying, oh, I'm just popping out to see a friend, which is kind of what I thought you meant originally when he said that at the house at the mm-hmm. start. Um, Yeah, and definitely weird, he's talking about the girls in the past tense. I mean, I think I've definitely Mm -hmm. seen it in some other interviews and similar cases. Um, But it does seem a very strange thing to already be talking in sort of a defeatist way, particularly for a man who actually, he's not shown any other real visible signs of distress. So... Mm-hmm. Maybe if he was a guy who was heartbroken and convinced he was never going to see his kids again, he might be using the past tense. But actually, he sounds more like a man who's very calm, quite collected. So I think it is pretty peculiar here that he's already speaking about them as if they're gone.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It Yeah, it doesn't fit at all with the narrative that he's kind of already been playing, does it? Like he the whole time he hasn't seen that concern that they're missing. So... Yeah, why is he now talking about them in the past tense? I guess, yeah, like you said, that's raising alarm bells. It kind of also then got weirder. So then Chris was asked what he thought should happen to the person who took his wife and daughters. During this bit of the interview, Chris kind of looked quite confused. And then he said, well, if they come home safe, then I would guess the guy should get life in prison. And then the investigators like, okay, well, what happens if they don't come home safe? What happens if this person has harmed them? And Chris kind of like sits there. He kind of like mulled it over a little bit. And then he just simply said, mm, well, I don't think Colorado has the death penalty, does it? And this is so weird to me. This behavior is so weird to me because like, why is he going through like the technical legalities of whether or not this perpetrator could get the death penalty or whatever? Like, Yeah, it's
1: not an exam question. Is trying to test your yeah. emotional response. I think if you ask most parents, they would say, "If someone did something awful to my child, I'd kill them." I'd kill them exactly, it's, even if they mean it literally. Um, it's a kind of reflex, isn't it, when parents talk about their children being hurt? Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, for him to be sat there pondering what shouldn't shouldn't happen in a court of law is a very bizarre way to interpret that question.
0: Yeah, it's just it's just so it's so bizarre. And yeah, you're so right. Like you'd you'd be outraged. You'd have anger. You wouldn't. Yeah, like you said, it's not an exam question. I mean, even like when we spoke about the Ebony Simpson case and remembering that, like all the kind of like locals rallied together and they were like chanting outside the courthouse for like capital punishment and stuff like that in a country, you know, where they don't have capital punishment. So I don't know why he sat there like, "Mm, well, Colorado doesn't have the death penalty. And also he's wrong. Colorado did have the death penalty in 2018. It's been abolished this year, but it was very much there at the time. (laughs) So, well... Aside from this the interview continued and when asked about the state of his marriage he said that he would never cheat on his wife and that he's certain that she had never cheated on him. He said they had a pact that if they ever felt that way about another person they would tell each other before they cheated. The police had been trawling through Chris's phone and they knew that he was flat out lying to them at this point. Chris was, oh, really? had been having an affair. Yep, he'd been having an affair with someone that he worked with. And this woman had actually been his girlfriend for quite some time. Arsehole. Yeah. <laughs> so by this point, it was gone 10pm. So they let Chris go home and asked him if he'd come back the next day to undertake a polygraph test. Chris came back the next day. So August 15th. And he came back with his father who had just flown into the area. And his father was actually sat in the room next to Chris whilst Chris undertook the polygraph test. After the test was complete, the results were calculated. In one of the documentaries I watched, they stated that if someone had been truthful, their grade would be a positive two or above, and that if they'd been lying, they'd be graded at a minus four um, and sort of below from that. Chris Watt's grade was minus 18. He actually failed every single question he was asked. Wow. Wow. I
1: mean I've no doubt he was lying they are notoriously unreliable. Yeah. Um as tests but I mean you'd think that's pretty unequivocal uh, if it's gone that far one way then definitely sounds like it's just proving my theory currently that I think he's lying.
0: <laughs> yeah, well I completely agree like polygraph tests are complete are like are completely unreliable. But He failed every single question. So that's like not an inconclusive result, is it? Like, because of this, Chris Watts did become the prime suspect in the disappearance and possible harm of Shanann, Bella and Celeste Watts. Despite being hit with this glaring evidence that the police knew he was lying and that they knew he was having an affair, Chris Watts still denied everything and denied lying on the polygraph test. The investigators tried lots of tactics to try and get Chris to open up. They said things like, there's a reason you feel sick to your stomach When you keep things inside, it makes you physically ill. Get it off your chest. Just tell us. But Chris still feigned ignorance and said that he didn't know where the girls were. And at this point, I don't understand why he isn't requesting a lawyer and just terminating this. Like, this is still a voluntary interview. This is still voluntary. He's just massively failed the polygraph test. They are literally telling him to his face that they think that he has done something to his daughters. This is all voluntary and he isn't just requesting a lawyer and terminating this. Why is that?
1: Yeah, exactly. Because I think if you were innocent at this point, you'd feel really scared, wouldn't you? Yeah. You would want a lawyer. You would want, you could, you'd see where this is going. You'd think the evidence is stacking up against me for something that I haven't done. I need to stop talking. I need to get help. So yeah, I think it's very strange. He's not calling for a lawyer at this point. Yeah,
0: or just literally walking away. Like he could literally just get up and leave. He doesn't need to be subjecting himself to this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What was his kind of uh,
0: demeanor like at the time? Is he starting to get visibly upset? Does he seem distressed? No, not at all. He's acting exactly the same. He's just like, they're like, you failed this polygraph test. And so basically the the lady who did the polygraph test, I think her name was like Tammy. She's brilliant, brilliant investigator in this. But she is so sweet and charming during the polygraph test. She's really acting like they're friends. And then she goes out, she grades it, she comes back in and she's like so stern. And she's literally like, you failed every every question on this, so we're not playing around anymore. Like, I know you're lying to me. You need to tell me what's going on. And he's still like, well, I just don't know. Like, I don't know why this has come back like that, because I did not lie to you in that room. I did not lie on this test. He's very, very casual about it still. Definitely very
1: strange behavior then at this point. Mm-hmm. And have they called him out on the cheating thing? Because that's the only irrefutable evidence I suppose they've got at that point. So I'd be curious to know how he was when he got called out on that specific like.
0: Yeah, so they did call him out on it. um, And they basically, they, they called him out on it afterwards, after um, they'd done the polygraph because they didn't ask him about his um like girlfriend or mistress or I don't know what they called her. But yeah, they didn't ask her about her during the polygraph because they literally just sat there and they afterwards and they were like, we didn't ask you about her because we know that she exists. We know way more than... We're letting on to you, and they used that as kind of like a power play to really get inside his head, so I guess he would start kind of like shifting and answering questions and you know at that point he did say, "Okay, fine, but i don't i like what I wanna protect her. I don't want her to have anything to do with this, like she has nothing to do with this um I wanna protect her, so yeah, that's kind of all I've really seen on it. There's not a lot of inf- <clears throat> excuse me there's not a lot of information out there on her." Um, Yeah, and now she's in witness protection. So I feel like I didn't put too much about her in this because I don't actually think she has anything to do with this. But yeah, they did bring it up with him.
1: Right, okay. But it sounds even just from what he's saying that maybe she's evoking more of a response than his wife and kids are.
0: Mm, Yes, oh my goodness, yes, 100%. 100% this is evoking more of a response. He really said like, I want to protect her. Um, I really don't want to bring her into this. Um, and that's, yeah, that's not once has he said, well, can you find my daughters and my wife? Cause I want to protect them.
1: Yeah, that's totally what I was thinking.
0: So yeah, anyway, he doesn't bail out. He keeps talking to them and the investigators continue to offer him up kind of different ways to get out. So they say things like, was it an accident? It's fine if it was, you know, normal people do that. They cover up their mistakes. I'd expect that, you know, you're normal. They were trying to really make him feel, you know, evoke these emotional responses from him to make him open up about what had happened but that yeah. led to nothing really there so this time they tried a different tactic and they put the blame on Shanann. they started to paint Shanann as a manipulator and as a controlling person to try and get on chris's side one of the investigators said what did Shanann do to your girls what does she do to them what are you covering for her This really seems to make Chris stressed and he eventually caves and he asked the investigators if he could speak to his dad. He asked if he could go out into the hallway and speak to him and the investigators like, "Mm, no, probably you don't want to do that. It's super busy out there. Why don't we leave and he can come in here? And this presumably was so that they could record their conversation and it worked. Chris Watt's dad, Ronnie, came into the room He asked Chris what was going on. Chris said that he'd failed the polygraph test. He said that he basically was like, they're not gonna let me go. Chris said, they know I've had an affair. And then he said, we had a conversation that morning. It was emotional. I told her about a separation and everything like that. Ronnie's like, well, what happened after? And Chris said, I went downstairs. And then he's like, I wanna protect her. I wanna protect her, but she hurt them. She hurt them and then I hurt her. And Ronnie's like, uh, well, did they leave after that or what happened? And Chris said, she strangled them or choked them. I didn't hear anything. I don't know what else I saw. I freaked out. And then I did the same thing to her. He said, those were my kids. I saw her on top of Cece. The girls were turning blue. I think this, to be honest, was really heartbreaking for the police because at one point they were really hoping that they'd be able to find the three of them alive and get them home. But now it did seem that Shanann and her two children were deceased.
1: Yeah, there must. there well, it's always going to be a heart-wrenching day, isn't it? When mm-hmm. you realise that two little children have really lost their lives. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and their pregnant mother, yeah. So the FBI came back into the room and asked Chris where the bodies were. Chris said that they were at the site of the first place he was meant to go for work that morning. So if you can remember, he worked at like a oil company thing. Um, they basically produced a site map for that first site and they asked Chris to draw on the map where the bodies of his two children and wife were. On the site map, he drew an S where he buried Shanann in a shallow grave and then he wrote a B on one of the oil tanks. And C, on the other, to demonstrate that each of his daughters' bodies were inside each of the two oil tanks at the site. At this point, the investigators said to Chris, Are you honestly okay with the public thinking that Shanann killed her two daughters? Chris said, Yes, I did not hurt these two girls. This is the truth. I did not hurt my two girls. He was adamant that his pregnant wife had killed both their daughters. Obviously, at this point, Chris was arrested for the murder of his wife, Shanann Watts, and he was actually also charged with the wrongful termination of their unborn son, who Shanann had planned to name Nico. Mm. Whilst he was being transferred to jail, the investigators were on their way to the site to hopefully retrieve the bodies of Shanann, Bella and Celeste. The recovery mission for the two girls was very difficult because these tanks were huge, huge. You basically have to, like they're massive, massive tanks and you have to climb up a ladder to get to the top. And then there's like a hatch to like open and they opened the hatch and they couldn't see the girl's bodies inside the tanks. But they did find a tuft of hair on the outside. So they did think that it was likely that they were in there. I won't really go into lots of details because it's honestly horrible. But the girl's bodies were recovered from those oil tanks and Shanann's body was found in a shallow grave just opposite from where the oil tanks were. And also that missing bed sheet from their home um, was also found in that area as well. The cause of death for Shanann Watts was determined to be manual strangulation. Bella and Celeste's cause of death was determined to be asphyxiation due to manual smothering. If you can remember, Chris said that he had seen Shanann choking or strangling Cece and Bella... This post-mortem, however, proved otherwise and the investigators strongly believed that Chris Watts had in fact murdered his entire family. But
1: at this point, they don't really have, apart from the fact that Chris's story doesn't stack up, there's no other evidence, is there? I mean, it's very difficult because we don't know anything really about Shanann's character yet, so... Am I right in thinking it's just that he's clearly lied about their cause of death that's leading the police to think he's responsible for all three murders?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you are, yeah. You are right in thinking that. I think they did have, like, quite a clear vision of what Shanann was like because of all these Facebook videos that had been posted online and stuff like that so they did kind of feel like they knew her but yeah I understand what you're saying they don't know if maybe she had yeah some kind of mental breakdown because he'd obviously said they were going to separate that kind of thing yeah I get what you're saying yeah if you're playing devil's advocate yeah of course it might just have been that Chris hadn't seen them being strangled he'd seen them being smothered but he hadn't quite realized that or something like that
1: yeah well it's definitely fishy that his story doesn't line up I 100% agree
0: yeah well to be honest. Doesn't matter anyway, because the police knew they had this massive task on their hands to try and prove that Chris had murdered his daughters as well as his wife. Then Chris Watts stunned the world because he turned around and said that he'd plead guilty to all charges that had been brought against him. Right, and did anything in particular spark this change? Um, so I reckon it's so that he wouldn't get the death penalty but is
1: he not more likely to get the death penalty now that he's responsible for four murders? Yeah,
0: I mean, he is technically more likely if this went to a jury trial, but if he he signed, you know, if he got a plea deal that said that he wouldn't get the death penalty, but he would spend the rest of his life behind bars, um, it's very common in cases like this where they know that if they go to a jury trial, they're probably totally fucked. So they, yeah plead guilty to whatever charges have been brought against them with um yeah either lighter sentencing or you know in this situation not getting the death penalty because the the charges brought against him were huge so according to the court records the charges were three counts of murder in the first degree and that was obviously as to Shannon, bella and celeste watts the unlawful termination of their unborn son nico lee watts Two counts of first degree murder of a victim under 12 years of age and who was in a position of trust, and three counts of tampering with a deceased human body. So, I think when faced with that, he thought, Do you know what? I'm probably not, it's probably not worth risking it with the jury.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's plenty of evidence against him for mm-hmm. at least half of it, isn't there? So, mm-hmm.
0: well, definitely. So Chris Watts said that he would sign a plea deal saying that he was guilty of all those charges that I just mentioned in order for him to not get the death penalty. And then the investigators actually, I think, went and checked with Shanann's family to like see if they were happy for, for them to take the death penalty off the table. And they actually said that they were because they said that if Chris had made the decision to take Shanann, Bella and Celeste's life, you know, that was his choice. They didn't want to be put in a position where they would have to decide if they should take his life, which I think is quite astounding, really. It's quite a a deep place to have to get to, do you know what I mean, when that's your daughter they're talking about?
1: Absolutely. And I think it's really nice, though, that they did check with the family because so often in these cases, you don't ever hear of anything like that. And actually, Mm -hmm. for some people, they may have a really strong view that, I don't know, there's been enough death or Mm -hmm. something like that. So I think it's actually nice and how it should be that the family were consulted after everything they've been through to be able to have a voice heard over Mm -hmm. this last thing i think it's positive
0: yeah, I think, I think it's positive as well. I think it's like a small silver lining really and it is really lovely that they actually did speak to the family about it first. I mean, the investigators in this case were phenomenal. They really were. Um, like, I'm sure you'll go and YouTube this after So, Like, I've put loads yeah. of links in the description box but like, the way that they interrogate him is just, honestly, it's amazing. They did a really, really good job because I mean, they got this, you know, this all happened within the space of like three, four days, this turnaround. So that's really unheard of, isn't it? So yeah, they did an amazing job. Yeah. Um, And they kind of kind of adding to that, actually, they in February of 2019, the investigators flew out to Wisconsin where Chris Watts was being held to have like one last interview with him. So this was actually six months on from their initial interviews with him when, you know, they've been doing the polygraph and everything I mentioned earlier. And they basically went out there because they wanted to hear from him that Shanann was not responsible for the murders of Celeste and Bella because obviously he had pled guilty to their murders but he hadn't confessed and they basically had no idea what had happened on that night. Of course. So during this interview Chris described what had happened that night. He said that he climbed on top of Shanann and she told him to get off because he was hurting their baby. Chris didn't get off and Shanann apparently said that she was going to take the girls and leave Chris. At this point he started strangling her. Bella came into the room and asked Chris what happened to mummy. Chris said he picked up Shanann's body and put her in the truck. This is what we saw on the neighbour's security camera. The girls followed him into the garage whilst he put Shanann in the truck and then he put both the girls in the truck too. At this point, both Celeste and Bella were still alive. This bit is very disturbing, but he put Shanann's body on the floor of the truck and put a bag over her head and over her feet. Um, And he said that he put the bags over um, Shanann so that the girls wouldn't have to look at her. He then drove them out to that oil site. This journey took about an hour. His daughters were still alive at this point. This... Bit really to me negates any kind of loss of control as a justification or as a defence to his actions because at this point his rage would have dissipated and you know he's fully within his right mind whilst he's driving out there in my opinion. So he got to the site, he got in the back of the truck, and using her blankie, he smothered his daughter Celeste. He then carried Celeste's body up to the oil tank and put her inside. Like I mentioned earlier, this meant that he would actually have to climb up the ladder on the outside of the oil tank, open up the hatch, and push Celeste's body into the tank. This tank is filled with oil and water. He then went back out to the truck where Bella was, and he said that he did the same thing to her. Bella yelled, Daddy, no, and she actually fought back, but he still smothered her. He then took Bella's body and put her in the other oil tank, He then buried Shanann's body in a shallow grave that he dug. He has never once explained what his thought process was that day and why he did what he did. That is truly horrific. I was diagnosed with some health challenges and then I met Chris. (laughs) I was in a really, really, really bad place. And I got a friend friend request from Chris on Facebook. And I was like, oh, what the heck? I'm never gonna meet him, except. Oh, one one thing led to another, and eight years later, we have two kids. We live in Colorado, and he's the best thing that has ever happened to me.
1: God, that just gives you goosebumps listening to that, doesn't it? I mean, you Mm. can hear the happiness coming through that recording in their voices mm-hmm. she really sounds like she's talking about the man of her dreams mm-hmm. and you can't quite fathom how the man she's talking about in that clip is the same man that not only took her life like you say possibly in a fit of rage but actually then went on to cold bloodedly murder their two innocent children it just how can that be one
0: human i know I don't know. That's honestly what was like so upsetting for me when I was researching this case because there are so many videos out there of Shanann and her kids and of Chris as well, like of their whole family. There are so many videos because Shanann posted so many on Facebook and, you know, she's clearly so in love with him. And, you know, when that, when she's saying that it's the, like, Chris is the best thing that ever happened to her, that it's just, what, what on earth could have led this man to do this? Like, he has never, ever said what made him do it. And, um, in one of the I think in that final interview in that February 2019 interview with him one of the investigators is even like did you just murder your kids out of like a mercy thing was it because you felt so like awful that they'd have to grow up without their mom and even in that Chris is just like no like I guess you could say maybe looking back it was that but honestly that's not how I felt at the time like I was just really enraged I was so angry at everyone and I just took it out on everyone around me and that's what I don't understand, like, what could possibly drive someone to just wipe out their entire family like this. Like, obviously, he is he is known as a family annihilator. And he has, you know, the key drivers of a family annihilator that fit, you know, him, the threat of separation, that kind of thing. The wanting to be free of their family so they can start a new life with their mistress and maybe, like, the burden of a new pregnancy, Um and like, actually, I think studies show that 55% of family annihilators are in their 30s and are usually Caucasian and they usually have like a high paying job and their children are usually young, not at the age where they're at school. And all of that fits Chris was. So obviously, I think he does firmly fit into this category of family annihilator. I just can't understand what would drive him to do this though, because to me, it doesn't really seem that he wanted to leave his family and go start a new one because... I know that's what most sources think, right? Most people do think that he just wanted to start afresh with his mistress. But I just find it weird that he just didn't kill them all in the house then. It just seems so much more uh, like personal, I guess. Like, just taking his daughters out there, killing them one in front of the other. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you just wanted to get rid of your family in that way by murdering them, why would you not just murder them all in the house? Do- I don't know. I don't know if I'm just overthinking it.
1: No, I do agree with you. And I mean, on the one hand i my instinct is this isn't a man who's thinking straight completely agree with you why he wouldn't kill the girls at the same time or would do it in front of one or the other he i don't know you could put it down to rage but Mm -hmm. that's some serious rage to make you do it in a way that would make your children's last moments on this earth so so incredibly traumatic Mm -hmm. um But equally, if he was a man that was so enraged that his wife was going to leave him, why on earth was he starting this relationship that with some other woman, you know, he doesn't sound like a man who was hot, who would have been heartbroken at the loss of his family. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know relationships are complicated, but when you picture someone being so distraught they kill their entire family you picture it because their wife's leaving them for Mm. a better life Mm. not a man who actually has been quite happily having an affair for god knows how long but that said I don't think this equally sounds a hundred percent cold and calculating because if it was that I don't know why would yeah why would you make this such an awful experience for everyone (laughs) you could have put a pillow over your face, over your children's faces whilst they were sleeping and never delivered them that extra trauma of seeing their mother die, etc. So then you kind of do lean a little bit back towards rage. You know, he killed Shanann in a fit of anger. And then at that point, I mean, who am I to say what you feel like when you've taken the life of another person? Mm. I don't know, at that point, did he just completely lose all coherent thinking? His primary focus was I've got to get rid of, of this body and then i don't know after an hour's drive does he suddenly think there's no way to come back from this i've just my children have just seen me kill their mother what do i do next but i don't know you kind of think if you'd have done that then
0: killed your children it sounds awful would he not then have killed himself that's that's honestly the thing that got me in this like a lot of family annihilators unless they kind of want to be the ones who leave and like run off or whatever most do kill themselves like it's normally like murder suicide and that's what i don't understand but i mean i guess you know he doesn't even want to take the death penalty do you know what i mean like he actually wants to spend the rest of his living life behind bars i think i would rather take the death penalty than go to prison for literally the rest of my life especially if i'm if I've killed kids. Do you know what I mean? Like completely, we've spoken about Because it before. he should
1: be racked with guilt. And that's the other thing that, okay, so say you've done this in a fit of rage. Now that rage has passed, why aren't you crippled with guilt? And if you are, why on earth, yeah, do you want to spend the rest of your days? You could live for 80 years. Yeah. Sat in a prison cell with nothing else to think about other than the awful, awful thing that you did to your family. And then it's kind of confusing because then it takes you back to, no, okay, here's a really cocksure man who is 100% on some kind of psychopathy spectrum who truly believes that he can kill his family. You know, his marriage has started to go down the drain and he really believes he can kill his entire family, get away with it and start a new life with his girlfriend. So 100%, I know we say it all the time, but I really think there's evidence for both theories here.
0: Yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, I was thinking, like, is is he a psychopath? But then, well, if you watch these videos, and I know, granted, like, you haven't, but he just is so normal. Like, that's what everyone says about him. Like, he's so normal. This is so weird. But then, I don't know, like, could it be that he's just mimicking how he thinks he should be looking on camera? Like, how he thinks he should be acting with his family? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, don't get me wrong, a lot of the time, psychopaths aren't able to act completely normally. Um... But some of them are, you know. That's how a lot of serial killers kill so many people is that you don't look at them and alarm bells in your head go off like, oh my God, I'm looking at a monster. You -hmm. look at them and you see a normal person that people put their trust into and you exploit that. So I'm not saying... And I think the thing as well is we often conflate psychopaths with all being murderers. They aren't. Um, And so I don't know. Maybe he never really realised that actually he didn't perhaps feel emotion completely normally until he snaps. He does this awful thing. And maybe that's why in all the footage or the interviews after he's done it, we don't see a kind of typical human response that you'd expect. I don't know. Maybe that is then when you start to think, okay, maybe he's not wired completely the same as, you know, He maybe he has got a bit of atypical psychology going on. But I think it's really hard to tell, isn't it? Because... You listen to that clip of Shanann, they had a really happy marriage. She it sounds like an almost perfect family yeah. until this completely monstrous thing happens. But as you sort of have mentioned, this isn't a one off. You know, this does happen when one member of a family brutally kills what, up until maybe the day before, the outside world would have said was their whole world.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know in the case on Evelyn Hernandez, we spoke about Scott Peterson and actually when i was like looking up stuff for this case his name actually came up because they class him as a family annihilator as well because he obviously killed his pregnant wife um but and that was i think because he was having an affair i don't know but it is you know is not uncommon it's just bizarre because i think in all the other kind of cases that i've looked at it just seems maybe there's more of a you can pinpoint a reason I think it's very hard isn't it this is such a disgusting brutal deplorable crime I just I just want to find a reason I want to pinpoint on something because it really unnerves me that there might just not be a reason like he might just have just done it do you know what I mean like he just did it
1: absolutely like there's ostensibly no huge build-up to this I mean we don't know what goes on behind closed doors but it doesn't sound like there was a hugely drastic set of events that took place before and actually even in a lot of these cases we talk about oh maybe there was another woman on the scene etc but that is still such an extreme response I mean people leave their families all the time to start a new life yeah and at no point does it cross their mind that to do that they need to murder someone and likewise people get left all the time and at no point do they have to murder someone so I think ultimately we can talk about this as grief rage or psychopathy but really on some level Chris didn't deal with whatever happened in a normal typical way did he I mean he if even his version of events is completely true he went through an experience that people go through time and time again being told that they might lose their children, et cetera. And the way he responded was deplorable and awful. And I think that has to speak a little bit to what was going on inside his brain because it just, yeah, it's not normal, it's awful, it's deplorable, it's disgusting. So there was something that meant he was incredibly unable to deal with what happened, or, you know, he was just what people would call
0: a monster. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Maybe it just comes down to the fact that he's just... I mean, he is a monster, but yeah, maybe that... I think it's hard, isn't it? Like, I really... And I'm sure most people out there, they want to find something to pinpoint because yeah, of you course. don't want to believe that your husband could just do this to you. Could turn
1: around and do it, exactly. Exactly. And you don't want to believe it's human nature. You want to believe there's something inhuman about it. Whereas, actually, you read cases like this and up until the moment where he does what he did... He's a completely standard human being, isn't he? There's nothing that screams any alarm bells. And I totally agree. That's kind of the, some of the most unnerving crimes mm-hmm. you you hear of because it makes you question, is every person capable of doing yeah. that, et cetera? Whereas yeah. when you're dealing with a case where, I don't know, someone's been cutting up kittens since they were age five, oh, yeah. you sort of, you know you can really remove yourself from it and yeah, think yeah. oh yeah that's that is he wasn't a person
0: yeah yeah that wouldn't happen to me that couldn't happen in my life that kind of thing yeah exactly so if you want to explore more of this case i recommend the watts family murder documentary i'll link it below um this documentary is amazing i really really suggest you go watch it it's just on youtube so i can i can link it below for you um under the header youtube links it's genuinely so informative it's very compelling um and you really you know you get to see the investigators and things like that who as i mentioned earlier they just did an amazing job so i would definitely go watch that um there's also a film i think called chris watts confessions of a killer it's like a fictional version i think and it's like played by actors that kind of thing it's got quite good reviews i think but i can't find it anywhere but maybe dally you can find it for me <laughs> we can watch it <laughs> um so yeah thanks guys for listening i'm sorry that was really really miserable actually i feel really rubbish now
1: as always we would really like to hear your thoughts on this case and all of our cases so if you do have anything that you want to put forward um or you just maybe want to look at some of the other cases we've done do head over to either instagram or facebook uh, to get involved we really do love hearing from you
0: thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you on sunday and i'll attempt to find a case that's maybe less heartbreaking or maybe has like a happier ending <laughs> thank mm-hmm. you for listening bye